This is County Fire Insight for Tuesday, December 14th, 2021. Hey, happy, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy New Year's. If I don't get to see you, I can't believe this year's almost finished. And I'm looking outside. It's raining hard. Seems like every time we're doing one of these insights, it's either the sun's shining and I'm worried about fires today. I'm listening to all our folks run on, on rescues, swift water rescues and preparing for mudslides. Uh, Chief Glaze's team's done a good job. Chief Glaze worked with Cal OES and got money for pre-position in order to have some swift water teams on standby. We staff two pieces of heavy equipment. We have our hand crew ready. And this is after a year and a half in some cases, being involved in the communities and, and working in the flood control channels along with uh, public works, cleaning those channels out, sandbagging, and getting prepared for today. So I wanna thank each and every one of you for your efforts. I know there's gonna be a lot of people that aren't gonna be able to watch because of the weather, but know that we're thinking about you, we're listening to the radio traffic. I'm certainly very proud of everything that you do. You, um, you're leading the way. Other agencies are watching you and they're seeing how you're doing this. You are very good at your job, thank you. Tell staff outage, another thing to add to the last uh, two years of just crazy things that are happening. So Kronos is the parent company for tell staff. Kronos does a lot more than just tell staff. They do payroll, they do a lot of fiscal processes for big companies like Tesla or Amazon. And here in the County of San Bernardino in the fire department, tell staff. So as you're well aware, I'm sure, tell staff was hit with ransomware and it's shut down. Now, the good news is, is that Chief Barna and his team, uh, thank you, Telstaff Desk, was ready through MIS. They've been backing this up with three days of rosters on an ongoing basis with the idea that we'll, we'll have an outage, but generally it's not going to be more than a day or two. Well, surprise, this happens, and it looks like it could be several weeks. I want to thank uh, the team for quickly coming up with a the, with the Google document, getting it out there. Uh, to our folks, those of you that have filled that Google document out, sent it back. Thank you for your efforts so we can rebuild that schedule. I want to thank the administrative staff, the fire marshal staff that showed up last night and started making phone calls in a phone bank to try to stabilize our staffing and make sure that we were prepared for staffing today. It was a tremendous effort by all, and I certainly appreciate all your efforts. Finally, there was a whole lot of people held over today for about 37 minutes I was watching. We want to thank you for your patience. It's probably going to be a few days of holding people over until we have that reliable schedule built. So moving forward, what do we do? Well, uh, Yvonne and, and Joe Barna is looking at the future and how do we prevent this from ever happening again? If we stay on telestaff, and uh, that's probably a conversation we will have, we haven't had yet. I think we need to put that on our own cloud and, and host it ourselves so we don't have this kind of outage. Certainly we need to do greater backups, but we're going to make sure that this kind of impact doesn't happen to your schedule again. Thank you for your patience. Uh, it's, it's just been tremendous. So flooding and telestaff. Uh, I've asked Dr. Pennington to be here today to update us on the Omicron uh, virus, or on the coronavirus, the Omicron, and a little bit about the Delta, what we're seeing in the hospitals. It's, um, there was a mask order that was issued by the governor today that's going to be effective tomorrow. Human resource staff is working really hard on what that looks like. We're going to put out a little bit of direction today, but it looks like we're going to need to mask up again in our workplaces. I did ask Chief Washington to be here, and he's going to talk about staffing for a few minutes. Thank you. Chief. 
Thank you, Chief, and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, yes, with staffing, and you know, I'd start with just saying thank you for your patience. You know, we know that there have been a lot of vacancies, uh, not only in the suppression ranks, uh, but certainly that's where it's been the most Im impactful to you and your work, uh, but also across the fire, you know, fire district, and we've been working very hard on all aspects of it. Uh, as many of you know, uh, we're thankful that the 17 finished the uh, tower. So uh, thanks again to the uh, uh, training division, Ka Adre and the leadership there. Uh, excellent job putting out a great group of individuals. And now we're leaning heavy on the captains to make sure that training continues on and we continue to develop those probationary fire, uh, you know, firefighters to be here for uh, a very long time. Uh, on January 3rd, uh, we're anticipating 25 candidates to start Tower 13, uh, and that's going to be a mix of laterals and uh, paramedics that have their firefighter ones. And so uh, that group of about 25, we're going to train for about six weeks. Cadre leadership's been working really, really hard, uh, 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 Captains Turner and Leitner, to make sure that they have the critical training that they're going to need to be safe and operate safely on the floor. And then they're coming up with the plan to uh, add that advanced training uh, before their six-month and 11-month ex exam, just to make sure uh, that they meet the standard that they worked so hard to develop. And so as that tower graduates, uh, right in uh, mid-February, uh, we'll graduate them and then we'll have family night for our next tower, Tower 14 of 50. And so that tower will start on February 14th. And again, uh, we'll have a great group of individuals. Uh, there'll be firefighter paramedics. We're anticipating probably about 30 to 35. And then we'll fill the gap with uh, emergency medical technicians uh, from our internal ranks of AO and FSA. And so we'll have, again, approximately 15 to 20 intermediates or EMTs that will join that group of 50. And uh, we have plans in place uh, going to the board the first part of January to have a new classification, which is going to be called firefighter paramedic trainee. And that will allow us to hire EMTs and uh, they will have the expectation that they will become paramedics within three years and uh, and then that will get them to where they need to be to allow us to continue the advanced life uh, support services that we currently have. Uh, so that will be the Tower 14 that's going to start February 14th. Uh, at the end of June, we're slated to start Tower 15, which will be another class of 50. And we'll have, again, a mix of paramedics and EMTs that will be in that group. So all in all, within the next 12 months, uh, we'll hire about 125 people. And uh, we hope to retain uh, about that number also, which uh, that should secure us uh, at least in a position where we can continue to run our towers of 50 each year and, and stay right, right where we need to stay. Uh, all along the same time, uh, we have our captain's recruitment that's going on. Congratulations to uh, the battalion chiefs that did such great work for uh, putting that recruitment on. Uh, the testing's looking very, very well. I haven't gotten the latest numbers, but into the uh, tactical oral portion, 
we had about 40 candidates. And so we're expecting somewhere between 30 to 35 to come into selection inter of views the first week in January. And then we will uh, uh, you know, promote them uh, you know, relatively quickly, uh, hopefully before the end of the month. And we'll provide a, or a, uh, or, an orientation also. Uh, in February, we'll have our engineers. Uh, the training should be about wrapped up in February. And so again, that will allow us to uh, backfill all of the ranks, uh, engineers, captains, and our firefighter ranks, uh, you know, will continue to get better and better. So we're looking forward to that. Additionally, with our staffing, uh, as you know, we've been recruiting for assistant chief and division chief. And so, um, you know, we're looking to fill that wildland and uh, you know, aviation division chief very, very soon. And then also, uh, we'd also like to shore up in the absence of the, tra the uh, training chief, uh, a temporary assignment until he returns. Re so we look forward to doing both of those relatively quickly. And then after the turn of the year, uh, we'll get into the division chief for administration, as well as some of the other positions that are uh, vacant at the chief officer level. So you can look for those things coming. Again, on the administrative level, we've been filling uh, several vacancies. We still have more to go, uh, but a lot of great work being uh, done there. And we can't thank those of you enough who have been filling in the gap and carrying us until we get those positions filled. Uh, so if there's ever any questions about our staffing or what's going on in the recruitment, please don't hesitate to uh, call my office and I'll get that information to you. Thank you. Thank you, Chief. And it's, uh, they're very impactful here without having a division chief of administration and uh, Chief Washington's schedule. It seems like he's going meeting to meeting and trying to do a lot. So we're looking forward to getting some of these ranks filled. And again, those of you that have been, been stepping up and doing a little bit more, the battalion chiefs group, the, the assistant chiefs, thank you so much, division chiefs. Thank you for what you do. We truly appreciate it. I want to thank Jason McLaughlin and the entire uh, team for the toy drives, the sparkle up events, um, tremendous. Those of you that are showing up on your personal off time, I don't know how you did it, but I really appreciate it. The public sees it. I'm getting a lot of comments back about how great this fire department is. Those of you that came on duty, just as important, thank you for the smiles on your face and the willingness to, to carry the boot and, and collect the money to go out and buy toys or, or stand by the box and wish people happy holidays as they came out of the various stores. Thank you. This means a lot to our communities, and we truly appreciate all your efforts in doing that. And my heart's out with Barstow Fire. Uh, Fire Chief Nick DiNapoli is a good guy, and uh, he reached out to me today with an update on uh, Dave Spink. Dave's a 30-year engineer at the fire department. I think everybody's aware Dave was hit by a car on an accident scene on the 15 freeway last week. Dave's in the hospital. He um, He's now in a non-induced coma. Uh, he's having significant medical problems right now. His family's by his side. His, his, we need prayers for the Barstow family, uh, the, the Barstow fire for, for Dave Spink's family and for Dave Spink. We have certainly reached out to Barstow. We've let them know that we're there. Um, we, I appreciate those of you that went to Barstow early on and provided coverage with the fire engine and, and uh, our chief officers that went out there. That doesn't go unnoticed by the region. Pray, because this is going to be a very difficult time for Dave 
Spink and the Barstow family. He's very, very sick right now. I do want to thank Chief Corbin and the care team, the, the, Jeremy Pendergraf and uh, Dave Newman, who went out and has been meeting with the Barstow team. The feedback I've gotten from the Barstow firefighters is tremendous. I even spent some time with our union president who just remarked on how great it was, Dave Newman was, and uh, Chief Corbin and the team for getting out there and truly debriefing them and, and making sure that county fire was there to support them. It did not go unnoticed, as I said, and it really means a lot to them. Next, I'm going to ask uh, Dr. Pennington to come up to talk a little bit about what's going on with COVID, the different variants, merging treatment, um, and what we should be doing as firefighters. Thanks, sir. I hope you don't mind here. I'm going to try to sit down because I've got some notes for myself. Uh, thank you, Chiefs, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. I wanted to try to touch on three things today. I, I first wanted to start about what's happening on the ground level in our hospitals in San Bernardino County and kind of give you an overview of how COVID is impacting the hospitals. We'll talk a little bit about Omicron, and then at the end, we'll talk a little bit about some of the therapeutics and the things you can do at home if you were to yourself contract COVID. Um, when we look at what's happening in the hospitals, we are seeing what you know, we kind of expected. We're seeing increases in social gatherings, whether it's Halloween or Thanksgiving, and we've seen a gradual stair step up of the number of hospitalizations in the county. If we look back at the beginning of November, um, for the first couple of weeks, you know, we had roughly around 300 people hospitalized in the, in the county. And this is countywide among all of our hospitals with COVID. Actually, on November 13th, that number was 327. As we move forward to Thanksgiving, we had 333 people hospitalized. So it had stayed relatively flat for the entire month. And then expectedly after Thanksgiving, we saw that first little bump. So, you know, about four days after, which is kind of what we would expect, somewhere as early as two to around four or five days is when you expect the symptoms to start if you've been exposed. At that point, we had 357 people hospitalized in the county with COVID. Um, now, going forward, what happened? So after the Thanksgiving holiday, now, when we rolled over the next seven to 10 days, we saw a pretty substantial increase. We had about a 17% increase over the next 10 day period. On December 10th, we were at 417. Now I'm hopeful that that 417 hospitalizations was our peak. We've actually started to taper in the last couple of days and the most recent numbers I had within the last one to two days where we had 407 hospitalizations uh, in the county, countywide for COVID. So it still is occupying a significant amount of uh, beds in our, our county hospitals. This trend has been apparent in every Southern California County uh, hospital um, from San Diego through Ventura. Everybody's been seeing these increases since the, uh, the beginning of the month. Our ICUs are similarly impacted. For those people, they get hospitalized with COVID about 20%. So if you're hospitalized with COVID, there's about a one in five chance that you're gonna end up in the ICU. And if you end up in the ICU, there's a very high likelihood that you're gonna end up on a ventilator. So we've been averaging in the last month or so about 100 patients on a day-to-day -day census in the ICU countywide with COVID. And again, typically about one out of five chance that you're gonna end up potentially in the ICU or even on a ventilator. A lot of people have been asking me, well, what about Omicron? Uh, I'm sure that you've you know, heard this uh, you know, many times on the news, but I'll just give you kind of a little quick update on what we're seeing. First, 
We don't have any Omicron in our county yet, but it's only a matter of time. I spoke with our head of public health, Dr. Sakura, yesterday, and as of yesterday, we didn't have any Omicron documented in the county. And I will tell you one unique thing that we do here in our county um, that really sets us heads and shoulders above you know, most other counties across the nation is the fact that we're doing whole genome sequencing on every PCR positive that comes through our county public health labs. And what that means is if you test positive for COVID, they're actually analyzing that and they're doing a sequencing. So they're going to say, is this original, what I call OG COVID? Is this Delta COVID or is this now Omicron? And as of yesterday morning, we had no Omicron in the county. Omicron has been identified in California. It was identified on December 1st in San Francisco. And we've, you know, had at least uh, 18 documented cases. Actually, we're probably a couple more than that right now. We had six in LA County. I think we had one in Ventura County. But again, it's really a matter of just time before it hits here. The good thing is that what we're seeing so far looks like, even though it's very transmissible, more so even than Delta, it looks like it's causing less severe illness. So in early studies, it may be as much as two to four times more transmissible than Delta was. But if you look in the United Kingdom and even the cases that are coming out of South Africa, we're finding that there has been less, less death and disability. There have been deaths attributed to Omicron, but it seems so far, far less than what we were seeing with Delta. So we're still waiting on some more data, but that actually is a really positive thing. But recognize that we can still have a major impact on our hospitals. If it's potentially four times more transmissible. If you have four times more people infected, you can still have a big impact on those hospitals. Omicron has a bunch of changes to the spike protein portion of the molecule. It's about 30 different changes, and so far those changes have really been identified as having an effect on the transmissibility. Uh, but so far, so good. Um, we'll update you as soon as we know um, that we have Omicron in the county, but um, you know, we're making our way down the Greek alphabet. We're at letter 15. We got 24 letters there. So we'll see what variants kind of poke their head out in the future. Um, you know, the county is doing a fantastic job, though. They're doing that whole genome sequencing on every single case. California leads the country. They're sequencing about 15% of cases. And on average, if you look at the national average, when people come down with COVID, after they do PCR testing, they're only testing about 5%. So I'd just like to applaud our Department of Public Health. I mean, the fact that we're sequencing every single PCR positive in our county labs is actually fantastic. Uh, I really want to encourage all of you to reach out to the nurse hotline or please reach out to myself. Um, call me on my cell. I mean, the nurses have all got my phone number and you're welcome to call at any point. Um, don't forget that we have therapeutic interventions that we can do for you if you come down with COVID and are sick. Please don't wait till it's day 10 or day 12 or day 14 and you're extremely sick before you reach out. One of the things that I really wanted to bring back up again is the monoclonal antibodies. The one that you've probably heard of most commonly is Regeneron. That was the one that, you know, President, former uh, President Trump received um, when he was ill with COVID. But Regeneron has shown significant benefit. You know, it reduces COVID-19 related hospitalization or deaths in high risk patients by as much as 70%. And if you have a family member that's high risk, 
Um, we don't even have to wait for them to contract COVID. If you know they're high risk, and let's say you've got COVID in the house, we can actually administer that monoclonal antibody to your family member. And we've documented that we're able to reduce their risk by as much as 80%. We have administered this to several individuals within our department. So again, please reach out and contact us. We will do everything we can to set you up with treatments and you know things that are out there. Um, the other thing that you've probably seen all over the news today is this new Pfizer pill. The pill is called uh, Paxlovid. There was a big medical trial that was done recently. It was called the Epic HR trial. Now, I want to tell you, this is not peer-reviewed data. This is not something I would normally report on, but we're kind of in, you know, unusual times. But, you know, when they looked at this new pill, this pill is a protease inhibitor, so it inhibits viral replication. When we look at this new pill, what they found was they, they kind of stopped and they did an interim analysis about halfway through the study. Initially, they wanted to study this medication on 3,000 people. They had a placebo branch and then they had the, you know, treatment branch. But what they found on their interim analysis, they stopped at about 1,219 people. They found that there was actually a significant reduction with the medication, actually an 89% reduction in death or hospitalization. And you know, another way to look at that was in the treatment group that got the medication, nobody died. And in the group that got placebo, there were 10 people that actually died from COVID. And they decided that at that point that it was actually unfair to continue the study because there was such a marked benefit to the medication. So look for that. Um, uh, the, the medication is going through what they call an emergency use authorization now. The CEO of the company, Pfizer, was all over the news today saying that if they are approved here in December, they immediately will have tens of thousands of doses available. By January, they said they would have hundreds of thousands of doses. And then by March, they would have millions of doses. So this could be a, a significant um, arrow in our quiver of, of therapeutic modalities. Um, it looks quite promising, but again, this information still hasn't been peer-reviewed. Um, what can you do if you come down with COVID? What are the things that you can do? You know, my general recommendations when people call me up, they're not having severe symptoms, what do I tell them to do? Um, the first thing I'd encourage you to do is get a pulse oximeter, have a pulse oximeter at home. One of the things that is really difficult to, to judge with COVID is this thing called the happy hypoxic phenomenon. Many people don't even recognize that their oxygen levels have become critically low when they have COVID. And so you can buy a little pulse oximeter at a local pharmacy or on Amazon somewhere between 20 to 40 bucks, and you can monitor your levels if you're ill. I would really encourage you to have it as a part of your first aid kit at home. If your level gets to 92 or lower, you really need to seek medical attention. You need to see a professional because at that point, you're getting significantly hypoxemic and you may need additional therapy or medication. If you're high risk and you've come down with COVID, please reach out to us early because we can start the monoclonal antibodies. The other things that I usually recommend, and again, I will tell you, if you look at the NIH website, they don't really say for or against, but there's likely really no harm with D3. I recommend around 5,000 international units of D3 a day. Um, if you don't have any other contraindications or reasons not to take it, there's been some evidence to showing low-dose aspirin. I'm plus or minus on vitamin C plus or minus on zinc, but if you look at the information with regard to that, there probably isn't any significant harm. But, you know, I wouldn't get crazy on the doses. So those are the typical things that I recommend. Probably the most important piece is monitoring your symptoms, controlling your symptoms, if you need to control your fever with Tylenol or Motrin, and then again, making sure that you have that pulse ox at home. You know, 
again, the chief has already mentioned this, but remember that, you know, starting tomorrow, we have that statewide mask mandate that's back in place. Um, it's probably good timing coming on the heels of uh, Omicron as Omicron's arriving. And that mask mandate looks like it's going to extend um, through January 15th. I really want to encourage all of you, please, 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 if you're responding on a call, you're in someone's home, please wear your mask. You know, many of the people that we're responding to, they already are ill, they're medically fragile, they're immune compromised. Um, I would really encourage you, if you're in someone's home, their place of business, please make sure that you're masking while you're caring for that patient. Uh, if we all do our part, I mean, we can decrease the spike that we know is coming during the holiday season and hopefully move through the holiday season um, and minimizing the amount of total cases um, that we have. Um, so, you know, I just wanted to kind of finish with, you know, I am encouraging all of you to consider vaccination if it's not for yourself, but for your children, for your elderly parents, for the immune compromised. Um, you know, I keep coming back to and I ask myself, why am I doing this? And I keep coming back to service above self. Um, you know, I really want you to strongly consider that. And again, if anybody wants to offline ask me questions, I'm happy to talk with you. Uh, please be smart, be safe, be good to each other and uh, happy holidays. Thank you, Dr. Pennington for uh, your efforts, not only with ARMC, but uh, matter of fact, can I get you up here real quick again? Sure. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple other things, but for all your efforts with all our employees, always being for them, there's story after story about how our, our fire family um, has called you, whether it's their wife or girlfriend or themselves, and how you stepped up, met them at the hospital, and it's just tremendous, and I truly appreciate that. There's a couple of really unique, uh, I'm going to change gears a little bit, a couple of unique pilot studies that's going on real, real quick that you're also involved in as our medical director, uh, Pulsera and Ultrasound. Do you want to just kind of brief the organization on those two things real quick? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be happy to. Um, you know, the first one is, is Pulsera. So Pulsera was something that we looked at in the, the midst of the pandemic. So when we looked at the initial, uh, you know, the initial estimates of the number of patients, and many of you may remember that we were literally setting up stadiums, anticipating thousands, potentially tens of thousands of patients. And we were trying to find a better way to communicate. We looked at all of the different communication platforms that were out there and we looked at what was being done in other states and we were able to utilize CARES funding and we were able to purchase this thing called Pulsera. Pulsera is a HIPAA compliant application that you can put on your phone or it can go on an iPad and it allows us to communicate using the devices that we already have. So it allows us to communicate in a new way. Instead of you know, using a, a radio or a, a pager, you know, if you think of it, we're still using pagers in the hospital. And, and, and right now I think that's like the eight track tape of communication. We need to change the way that we communicate. And Pulsera is gonna allow us to do that. We're actually bench testing it right now. We have a hand-picked group from County Fire and actually some of our guys from Rialto Fire. And we are starting to communicate with the base station. We're practicing, kind of getting that muscle memory. And eventually what's gonna happen as we roll into January and February, we're looking at using it to communicate with the internal teams in the hospital. Pulsera allows us to communicate through text. We can do encrypted video. We can do audio. We can send vital signs. It actually integrates the information with image trends. So if you put in patient's name, 
medical information. That field that you put it in, Pulsar, will actually move over to Image Trends, so we're going to try to minimize your duplicated efforts. But it also is going to allow you to communicate with the hospital in a brand new way. You're actually going to have access and be able to see what happened with your patient at the hospital. And I'm going to work really hard with the hospital so that they push information back out to you so that if the patient comes into the hospital and has a CT scan and goes to cath lab, that physician on the other end that does the procedure is going to be able to communicate, push that information back out to you for the first time. So we're hoping to be able to close the loop and really improve the communication on our patient care. The other thing that we're looking at is we're looking at doing a pre-hospital ultrasound study. Um, there's a device that we've been looking at for some time. It's a small handheld ultrasound device called the Butterfly ultrasound device. And Butterfly is actually compatible with Android or iPhones or an iPad. And it will uh, give us the ability to do ultrasound scanning in the field. We're going to use this new device. We initially are looking at rolling this out um, with a handful of people. We've got a study design, and that also is something that we're going to try to roll out in early January. So we're looking forward to both of these things and looking forward to, you know, kind of improving the way that we communicate moving forward. Chief, did you have uh, anything else that you wanted me to? Sorry. No, that's okay, that's Troy. Right. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. No, thank you very much. Wanted mm -hmm. to, in our OFM office, I wanted to uh, recognize Mike Price. Mike, he was able to get his International uh, Code Council Underground Inspection Certificate, ICC UI. Mike, congratulations. Um, often Kristen Ward or, or the, uh, one members of the team, Monica in this case, will reach out to us and tell us about your accomplishments. We want to thank everybody over there for maintaining that professional staff and always looking at the next level and working so hard to get the certifications that you need. Congrats, Mike. We'll talk a little about it, the EMS, state of EMS in the county. We're still working through the issues. You're facing it every day. Uh, there's still a lot of BLS ambulances in place of ALS ambulances. Obviously, what we want is an ALS ambulance to arrive within nine minutes, 59 seconds of call receipt. However, with the difficulty in hiring, AMR's not been able to do that, so they're occasionally putting out BLS ambulances. You know that. Last Friday, we met with AMR and with county representatives, county chiefs, and we talked about the impacts. A couple of things that we're looking at is a first response advanced life support fee. So AMR would pay our paramedics for the efforts that they expend before the ambulance arrives on scene. So they call that FRALS, first response advanced life support fee. The second thing we're looking at is if we do get on a BLS ambulance and we transport to the hospital, we need to be reimbursed for that. So that potentially could bring in some additional revenue to the fire department. We're working really hard through county chiefs to make sure that we're looking at the impacts. AMR on their side is uh, doubling up efforts. They've started their own EMT program, their own paramedic program. They're offering large bonuses. Uh, they're paying a higher hourly wage, all in an effort to get paramedics. And obviously, uh, that's, that, that's going to translate across the board. I think everybody's going to start paying more for those paramedics. Uh, Chief Washington talked to you about our plan of hiring EMTs and putting them through paramedic school ourselves. That's the way we're going to get through this. It's very interesting times. Thank you for your patience. But to let you know is that we are meeting with AMR every single day and we're talking about the, uh, the impacts and how can we reduce that. I do want to thank RAOs for stepping up. We've dual filled some positions. We've added extra ambulances. We have you running out of non-traditional stations. Thank you to the crews that are interacting with them every day. 
This is twofold for us. One, it gives us more ambulances in the system to take care of our citizens in Fontana, San Bernardino, Atalanto. The second is, as we hire ambulance operators and put them in the next tower, it's not going to take us uh, too far down below the, the amount of AOs that we need every single day. So it's not going to have the ambulance operator impacts, the staffing impacts that it's had in the past. So thank you all for your leadership in that. Thank you for your patience. This is not going to be a quick thing to get through. But County Chiefs, County Fire, County San Bernardino are absolutely leading the way and we're working with AMR to make the situation better. Now these temporary things that I just talked about, frauls, the first response ALS fees, uh, receiving reimbursement for transporting the hospital, those are temporary. The goal is to return ser service to normal. In just less than two years, there's an RFP for a contract for ambulance services. County Fire remains engaged with county chiefs to look at a regional solution, which is uh, what we propose is in the form of a joint powers agency. All those agencies coming together and running an ambulance business. Uh, we believe this is beneficial because we'll have more operational control. There's more revenues for public ambulances. Uh, we can do that in partnership with a private ambulance company or we can uh, possibly do it ourselves. So we'll see as the future unwinds, there'll be more information as that comes out. I think I've covered everything. Tracy, I wanted to ask you if there's any questions out there. Yes, sir, we have a couple questions. So if we have a close contact exposure, what is the procedure for quarantine and testing if we are vaccinated? Well, I know that the governor has issued a mask order again. We'll get more information out today on what that looks like. Likely tomorrow we're gonna have to ask all our employees to mask up again. If you're wearing a mask and you have that uh, close encounter, then uh, you're probably fine until you're symptomatic or remain asymptomatic. Tracy, I did have you reach out to uh, one of our registered nurses to look at the best practice for that. What was their answer? So Lee Overton got back to me and she says, if you have close contact with someone who has resulted positive and you are vaccinated, the CDC recommends no quarantine. We will test anyone regardless of vaccination status between day five and seven after the exposure. However, you cannot come back to work once we have tested you until we get the results. All right, thank you for the EMS team that continues to work so hard in uh, testing our employees, operating the, the nurses hotline. If you have any questions, reach out to the nurses hotline. That's what it's there for. They're following along with the CDC guidelines, which are continually evolving. Uh, we'll see if they change again with this newest ma mask order. And thank you for your patience as we go through this. Is there any additional questions, Tracy? No, sir. I wanna thank everybody, especially today as you're out there in this rain, in the mud, performing rescues, still fighting fires and doing everything that you do to save people's lives. Thank you for the team of individuals that stand behind our firefighters that work so hard to make sure that we're able to do their jobs. I appreciate every, every single one of you and I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Thank you. This has been County Fire Insight for Tuesday, December 14th, 2021.